Thank you and welcome again to the Theological Seminar of the Air. Beginning now in your particular area, the 58th broadcast, uh, the 58th in a series of 58 broadcasts running 29 minutes apiece, studying the great doctrines of the Word of God. These have been doctrinal studies in the Word of God, and of course proper and in their place, as one must never forget that all Scripture was given in inspiration of God to be profitable for first doctrine, then reproof, correction, instruction, righteousness. The lack of doctrinal preaching on television and radio today shows pretty well the condition of modern Christianity, for the primary purpose for the inspiration of the Scriptures had nothing to do with uh, being a good boy or living a good life, or having to do with sharing your experience or having an emotional feeling or testifying of the grace of God or loving your neighbor. It had to do with doctrine. The primary purpose for the inspiration of the Scripture had to do with sound doctrine. All Scripture is given inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. So for 58 weeks we've been studying the great doctrine of the Word of God in our theological seminar. We've been studying in past weeks in particular the Trinity with a special emphasis on the person and nature and work of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Our first series of studies in theology proper dealt with God the Father in the Trinity, the head of the Godhead. Our next series of studies dealt with Christology, the studies of God the Son, Jesus Christ manifest in the flesh, God manifest in the flesh. Our third series of studies, which ran for nearly 12 weeks, dealt with the third person of the Godhead under the heading of pneumatology, the study of the person and nature and work of the Holy Ghost. We have come now to our study of the Word of God itself, the book from which we've learned these things. After all, a fountain is no purer than its source, and a Christianity is no purer than the Bible it reads. The modern corrupt apostate Christianity, represent the Laodicean period, of course, has come from corrupt Bibles. Uh, I hesitate to call them Bibles because, of course, they don't come from Bible manuscripts. They come from two apostate, vulgar, blasphemous corruptions called Alexandrinus and Vaticanus, and sometimes the gross blasphemy, the obscene vulgarity, called Sinaiticus. These blasphemous, obscene corruptions of the Word of God are recommended by every major faculty in every major Christian university in America, and they comprise what we call the African-Egyptian text of black North Africa, the Alexandrian-type text that came from the great apostate Origen, Pamphilus, and Eusebius. These apostate, godless, depraved corruptions are recommended by apostate fundamentalists throughout America today, and of course this accounts for the peculiar form of apostate fundamentalism we have in America today that refuses to discuss and talk about sound doctrine, and where it does, can do nothing with it effectually. In short, the modern Christianity, which has a form of godliness but denies the power thereof, has come from a corrupt Bible, so-called Bible, which can only produce a corrupt Christianity. The impure and godless deprivations recommended by the faculty members of every major Christian college in America can only produce a corrupt and godless Christianity, and of course that's what they produce. To make up for this lack of power and lack of purity, the major Christian universities have decided on what they call a secondary separation, which means an ultra-Phariseeism. They have decided if they set up standards where nobody drinks or smokes or dances, where the hair of the men is short and the women wear long skirts, that this makes up for their obscene blasphemy of the Word of God. It is sort of a Phariseeical condition where they make uh, none affect the Word of God by their tradition, and for while they reject the Word of God, they may keep their own tradition. That is, to make up for their adoption of these false, godless, pagan, blasphemous African manuscripts, that contain the Apocrypha and insult the deity and virgin birth, uh, 
These schools have taken a bold stand for what they call the fundamentals, forgetting, of course, that the fundamentals are taken from a book. And we'll grant you you can find the fundamentals of Christianity in a gospel tract. That doesn't mean it's a Bible. We'll grant you you can find the fundamentals of Christianity in a book on doctrine. That doesn't mean it's a Bible. We'll grant you you can find the fundamentals of Christianity in the Nicene Creed, and that's not a Bible either. So the foolish and idiotic teaching that because you can find the fundamentals in a book, that that book is a Bible, is characteristic of the fundamentalist lunacy which we find in America today propagated by the major Christian schools, universities, and seminaries. And lunacy is putting it quite mildly. I don't believe anybody in my audience believes because you found a dollar bill in the sewer that the sewer was a bank. I don't suppose anybody, any unsaved man listening to my voice, is so irrational as to suppose that because he found a diamond necklace in the garbage can, that the garbage can was a jewelry store. But the modern apostate fundamentalist, any Greek or Hebrew teacher in America today, is teaching the uh, idiotic fancy that if you can find the fundamentals in some translation, that that translation is a Bible or it is the Word of God. For further details, see any faculty member of any school within 3,000 miles of you. Now, our studies now concern the book itself, the source from which the so-called fundamentals come. Remembering, of course, if this book is not true, then the fundamentals are not true. Again, the lunacy of the modern apostate fundamentalists of the Alexandrian cult, who follows the blasphemous teaching of Westcott and Hort and Dr. A.T. Robertson, Macon and Warfield, that is the teaching that although the Bible is imperfect, you can get the truth from it. Uh, this teaching, propagated also by Barth and Brunner and Tillich and Niebuhr, is to the effect that you can order the Word of God in 30,000 places in the Old Testament, 5,000 places in the New Testament, as has been done in the New American Standard and the International Version, and still have what they call, quote, a reliable translation, because the fundamentals can be found in it somewhere. Maybe you'll remind these gross, absurd, conceited brethren that the law court procedure of jurisprudence in the United States says false in part, false in whole. Once a man has perjured himself, the rest of his testimony is thrown out of court. The new Bibles have perjured themselves in Luke 2.33, Acts chapter 1, verse 3, Luke chapter 24, verse 51 to 52, and 1 Timothy chapter 3.16. Having perjured themselves and proved to be false in part, we cheerfully throw them out of court and make no more reference to them on this broadcast except by way of comparison with the genuine. Now, the author of the Bible is the Holy Spirit. The pages of the Bible are an authoritative revelation in written form of God's nature and purpose. This should naturally be true because in the beginning was the Word. God knows, if you don't, that you did not come from animals, and God knows, if you don't, that animals cannot communicate in words, if you don't. Therefore, when God wanted to communicate to his human creation, which he made, which you may not know, he chose the spoken and written word with which to communicate to his creation, which you may or may not know. The Bible, therefore, is the source book of our knowledge of God. It is the scientific textbook of divine truth, the guidebook to everlasting life, and it is the only scientific textbook in print. If you look at the modern, vulgar, obscene, and blasphemous translations called reliable by the faculty of Christian schools and universities, you will find the words science in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20 has been changed to knowledge. This was done knowingly with malice aforethought by the modern advisors, thereby giving themselves away that when we say a scientific textbook, we mean a textbook of knowledge. 
By this definition set down by the apostates themselves, the Bible is the only scientific textbook in print on complete science. The word Bible is derived from the Greek word biblios, meaning a book. The volume is known by the such titles as the Scriptures, the Oracles of God, the Word of God, the Writings, the Word of God. You might check some of these references in Luke chapter 4, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14, Mark 12, verse 10, and Matthew 22, verse 29, and Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The Bible is a library of 66 books divided into two main sections, the Old Testament containing 39 books, the New Testament containing 27 books. The Roman Bible, of course, is not a Bible. It doesn't have 39 books in the Old Testament. It has 46 books in the Old Testament. These additional seven books are called the Apocrypha, and since the oracles of God were given to the Jew, no Orthodox Jew has ever accepted them as the Word of God. This is why your King James 1611 authorized version matches the Orthodox Jewish Old Testament given to the Orthodox Jew. If there's an Orthodox Jew in your neighborhood and you get his Orthodox Jewish Bible, the Masoretic Text, you will find the books in it that are found in the King James 1611 authorized version. You will find them may be divided according to a different division, the Torah, the Navim, and the Ketubim, but you will find the exact same books in an Orthodox Jewish synagogue that you find in a King James 1611 authorized version. However, if you take the Sinaitic and Vaticanist manuscript used by the translators of the International Version and the New American Standard Version, you will find that seven books have been added to the Old Testament books, interspersed between the Old Testament books, in these depraved corruptions of the truth. One must never forget that when Martin Luther translated the Bible, and when the King James translators translated their version, they were very careful to separate the Apocrypha from the Old and New Testament and place it between the Testaments with the specific note that it was not the inspired Word of God and not considered to be Holy Scripture. Now, the uh, Hucksters and charlatans who are trying to promote the new ASV and the international version never tell their readers the truth. The truth of the matter is, the Greek manuscripts from which these two versions came contain the Apocrypha as part of the Old Testament. And instead of telling the student the truth about these matters, these con men will tell the student that these two manuscripts, Sinaiticus and Vaticanus, must be the best simply because they're the oldest. They fail to tell their student these two godless depraved corruptions also include the shepherd of Hermas and the epistle to Barnabas as part of the New Testament. That is, the two most depraved, corrupted manuscripts we have are the ones that are used for Nestle's and Olin and Metzger's Greek text and the New American Standard Version, the International Version. Strangely enough, these same two corrupt texts are the ones used by the National Council of Churches and every apostate liberal in the United States and Europe. Birds of a feather corrupt together. The Bible was written by 36 to 40 authors over a period of 1,600 years, and by different types of people on three different continents. It therefore fulfills a function which no book in the world fulfills. There has never been any book that showed up upon this earth written by 40 different men for a period of 1,600 years on three different continents that is still in vogue. There is nothing in the sutras, the Vedas, the Shastras, the Puranas, the Bhagavad Gita, or the Tripitaka that could come anywhere near it. The unique design of the Bible is one of the best proofs of divine inspiration. 
For so many different men to write a book without contradiction is a miracle. And the miracle can only be explained by a master hand guiding the writers. The cardinal theme of the Bible is Jesus Christ, who becomes the key to understanding the Bible, and the outstanding doctrine of the Bible is the doctrine of kingdom of the kingdom, the authority of God Almighty versus the devil. The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, with parts of Daniel and Ezra being written in Aramaic. The New Testament was written in street-speaking Corne Greek. Now, by inspiration, we mean the supernatural control by God over the production of the Old and New Testament. The Bible is God-breathed, 2 Timothy 3.16, and inspiration is the strong, conscious breathing of God into and through men, qualifying them to give utterance to God. It is God speaking through men. The Holy Ghost was miraculously present, preserved accuracy in the writings, and holy men of God overshadowed by the Holy Spirit wrote at his command, thus they were kept from all error, they recorded things known or unknown to them. Now there are various theories of inspiration. Of course, the modern apostate fundamentalist confines inspiration to the original manuscripts on the basis of his inability to read English. There isn't one book on the inspiration of the Bible that doesn't use Second Timothy three sixteen as a proof text, and there has never been a writer on Second Timothy three sixteen that ever quoted verse fifteen. That is, every modern apostate fundamentalist and every Christian university in America absolutely refuse to tell the truth about 2 Timothy 3.16 when he quotes it. And if you met at a fundamental congress in America, or any group of fundamentalists, you'd find these poor deluded souls getting up and talking about 2 Timothy 3.16, meaning the original manuscripts, when they are plainly lying against the Holy Ghost, who recorded the word Scripture in the verse preceding it, as not applying to the original manuscripts. The greatest heresy then being taught in the Laodicean church is that 2 Timothy 3.16 refers to the original manuscripts only. This heretical and apostate teaching is done by refusing to observe the context of 2 Timothy 3.16. And as you've learned in this broadcast throughout the weeks and months and years, a text without a context is a pretext or we say an obscene and blasphemous presumption. All you have to do is go to your nearest Christian bookstore and buy any book on the inspiration of Scripture, and you will find there is not one fundamentalist who ever lived that could tell the truth about 2 Timothy 3.16. And every book written on the inspiration of the Bible, talking about plenary and verbal inspiration, put up by any fundamentalist at any fundamental congress, simply ignores the context and lies about the verse. The word scripture in 2 Timothy 3.15 is not a reference to the original manuscripts. And 2 Timothy 3.16 follows in the context by one verse. Therefore, the greatest thing we learn about the Laodicean church period is the apostasy is in the body of Christ led by people who profess to believe the fundamentals. The apostasy in the 20th century has nothing to do with liberals and the orthodox. And the apostate fundamentalist who puts up the straw dummy of new evangelicalism and neo-orthodoxy is simply lying to get out of a bad mess. The modern apostate fundamentalist belongs to what we call the Alexandrian cult. And the Alexandrian cult cannot read or quote their own language correctly. There is no reference within 35,000 verses of 2 Timothy 3.16 that says the term inspiration applies to the original manuscripts only. And the context says 
that it doesn't. Therefore, when you go to your nearest Bible bookstore and pick up a book on the illustration of the Bible and find a writer applying 2 Timothy 3.16, the original manuscripts only, you know what you're dealing with. You're dealing with what they call an heretical cult that refuses to obey the laws of interpretation. The laws of interpretation state that a text without a context is a pretext. And there isn't one fundamental leader in the United States recognized by fundamentalists who can read third grade English in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, if you think I'm being hard or overstating the case, why don't you try me out? If you think I'm being a little bit hard or a little bit cruel, a little bit mean, why don't you test me to see if I'm telling the truth? Hmm? I know some of you people think my vocabulary is a little bit rough and I'm being a little bit crude in my statements. Would you explain to me why you have not yet checked the facts? What's your alibi? I probably have mine for my plain and crude and blunt speech. What's yours for lying? I'll say it one more time. You can pick up any book in any Christian bookstore about the inspiration of Scripture using 2 Timothy 3.16 as a proof text, and the author of the book will refuse to read the context in which the verse stands. If you don't believe me, try it. I've only read one book a day since I was 10 years old. I may have missed something. I only read 700 words a minute. I could have overlooked something. I've only been teaching Greek and Hebrew for 12 years. I've probably made a mistake. Now, you correct me, okay? Some of you bright folks out there, you straighten the good doctor out, all right? I'll say it again. There isn't a recognized scholar in America who professed to be a fundamentalist who can read his own language in third-grade English. There isn't one fundamental recognized scholar in America who would discuss 2 Timothy 3.15 in relation to 2 Timothy 3.16, for the word Scripture in 2 Timothy 3.16 is not a reference to the original manuscripts in the context in which it appears. If you don't believe it, check it out. Now, some think the authors were in a trance and saw the Bible and simply copied it down word for word. We admit that many of the writers wrote prophecy, but we reject the theory of inspiration, for we're not allowed the writer of choice of words at all, and the writers freely choose their own words, which is apparent by the fact that they write in a different style. The education and logical mind of Paul is evident in Roman and Galatians. We reject the theory because the personalities of individual realities of men like David, Moses, and Peter are very evident in their writings. Luke the doctor used a medical word in Luke chapter 8, verse 44. David the shepherd writes of sheep, slings, shepherd's equipment, rods, and staffs. The Bible is not the result of godly men meditating on God, but God himself in breathing men to record the thoughts of God. God dictated the scriptures as an executive to a secretary, according to some theories of inspiration. But this will reduce inspiration to a mere mechanical process. And as we've said before, the men retain their individualities throughout the Bible. Anybody who reads the Bible knows that the writings of Moses are not like the writings of Paul. The writings of David don't match the writings of Luke. Matthew doesn't write like Malachi. Isaiah certainly doesn't match John, and John doesn't write like Simon Peter. This brings up a very interesting uh, 
doctrine when we begin to study preachers and methods of preaching. For there is there are at least two groups of preachers in America who belong to two cults that both profess to speak with the scriptures, speak and be silent with the scriptures of silence. And both these groups of preachers use the same diction, enunciation, and pronunciation in their preaching. One of these water dogs phoned me up one day over the telephone. He challenged me to a debate. I took him up. I always take him up. The thing is, when I take him up, they don't like my conditions. <laughs> you know, some of the brethren are really weird. These Campbellites are phoning you up and say, I challenge you to debate. And then when you tell them the conditions for it, they back out like a crawfish falling off the back end of a garbage truck. You know what these people think? They think if you challenge a man to a duel after you challenge him that you still have the right yourself to choose the weapons and the time and the place. I never heard anything so immoral and unethical in all my life. Did you know that even unsaved men have higher ethical standards than those kind of people? Did you know that? Did you know there's an unsaved man in your town who has higher ethical standards than these water dogs that go around and challenging people to debates? Don't you know that? Now listen, before some of you strip your clutch plate and burn out your gears, or strip your gears and burn out your clutch plate, let me tell you something. When a man challenges a man to a duel, the man who's challenged chooses the weapons. Did you know that? There's an unsaved man in the world that doesn't know that who's ever had any dealing with challenges. Isn't that something? Well, these fellows pull me up and they say, I challenge you to debate, I say, accept. You build my house at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning in your tape recorder, I'll have two witnesses, you have two witnesses. Do you think these fellows ever show up? They haven't showed up one time in 28 years. When those fellows challenge you to debate, you know what they mean? They mean they don't have a listening audience and can't get any converts, and all their people are fighting among themselves, and they want to get your audience because they have no message, and they've never been called to preach. They recognize immediately when a man has been called to preach, and they want to get his audience. That's what's going on. Now, why have I said this? I have said this because this particular type of person I'm talking about, because I wouldn't mention their name over the radio, all use the same diction, enunciation, speech, pronunciation, and breathing. At one time when I talked to one of these silly fellows, I said, would you tell me something? I said, how is it that a Campbellite preacher in Texas and Oklahoma and West Virginia and Maryland, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, Florida, and Wisconsin talks and breathes and pronounces and enunciates with the same diction that a Campbellite does in California, New York, and Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, Minnesota, South Dakota, and Key West? And you know what that fellow said? You wouldn't believe this. He said it's because we all believe the same thing and all believe in the same doctrine. Can you imagine that? Brother, do you realize that Peter and James and John and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Paul all believed everything that God revealed them about the New Testament and agreed on what was to be said and what wasn't to be said, and there wasn't any two of them that even looked alike? They didn't write alike, they didn't talk alike, they didn't think alike, and they didn't speak alike. Now, isn't that something? You realize when the church got together in Acts chapter 15 and decided that a man is saved by grace through faith without water baptism and kept by grace through faith without works, Acts chapter 15, when they got together, 
that James, Peter, and Paul all agreed that that was the message to be preached from then on? Do you realize that James and Peter and Paul don't write alike and don't talk alike and don't think alike, and if you disbelieve it for a minute, just read First and Second Peter, James, and Galatians. Imagine that fellow trying to tell me the reason why they all spoke and pronounced their words were the same, because they all believe the same thing. <laughs> now, ain't that a flip? Do you know why those fellows all speak the same way? They're all controlled by the same Spirit. And the Holy Spirit never forces any man to talk like another man. And when the Holy Spirit spoke to Peter, James, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, he didn't lead any of them to say the same thing, the same way. They kept their individual styles and wrote in their own individualistic style. The final theory of inspiration is what they call natural inspiration. This is the theory taught by the National Council of Churches. This theory magnifies human genius, denying the supernatural, and this will reduce the scriptures to special writings like those of Shakespeare, Jose Rizal, Milton Confucius, or perhaps the Shaftas of Piranhas of Bhagavad Gita. Now, in this theory, you simply go through the Bible like a banana and take off what you don't like and eat what you like. That is, whatever is positive and appeals to your flesh, you accept as inspired. Whatever goes contrary to your upbringing and ideology, you throw out. This is the liberal teaching, and of course all Christ-rejecting hell-bound sinners accept this teaching. We reject this theory, for it catered to the doctrine the Bible contains the Word of God, whereas the Bible is the Word of God. The fundamental professors and fundamental schools today, of course, are all new orthodox, so they profess to be fundamentalists. When you pin these men right down, they will tell you that no translation is the Word of God. However, they will hold a Bible in the pulpit and say the Bible is the Word of God while waving the Bible in your face. So one must never forget this is an apostate. He professes something he doesn't believe in. And all of them down in this country, these apostate fundamentalists that have joined the Alexandrian cult are waving Bibles in the pulpit and saying the Bible does not contain the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. And when the man comes down the pulpit, do you know what he actually believes? All right, this time I'm not going to tell you. Check him out. Fooled you that time, didn't I? You thought I might, you know, say something that wasn't so, according to your now limited viewpoint, didn't you? I'll tell you what, the next time you see some rascal get in the pulpit and wave a King James Bible around and say, this book does not contain the Word of God, this book is the Word of God, when he comes down, check him out. You say, where shall I check him? On Romans 8, verse 1. The King James doesn't read as the new ASB in Romans 8, 1. Where you check him out, check him out on John chapter 9, verse 37. They don't read the same there. Check him out on Mark chapter 9, verse 46 and 48. They don't read the same there. Check him out on Luke chapter 24, verse 51 and 52. They don't read the same there. Check him out on 1 Timothy 3.16, the deity of Christ. They don't check there. And then ask that old, dirty, lying, two-faced hypocrite, which one is the Word of God? And obviously, if two Bibles differ in 30,000 readings, 
one of them is not the Word of God, and the other one is, or both of them aren't. There's one thing for sure. You can't say both of them are when they differ in 30,000 readings, unless you are just as crazy as a coot, or unless you're dishonest. Now, I made no accusations. I simply said, check him out. And if you don't, then don't waste my time accusing me of talking hard about the brethren when you never even check to see if what I said was so or not. We'll continue this discussion further and talk about it a good deal more in our next broadcast at the same time as we continue to study the great doctrine of the inspiration of the Bible. Until then, may the Lord bless you and good day.